Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Good evening. How are you doing today? Everybody good? I I guess I could be the best Pastor Cody in New Braunfels because I'm probably the only one. I always tell people that if they have an odd name, like like an unusual name. You're the best Oswald I've ever known, you know? The only one. And I'm sorry if your name's Oswald, but just kind of makes it a safe compliment. Um, You know, I'm excited to be with you guys. I just want to say, can we thank our worship team one more time? I think sometimes something that we don't remember a lot of times in church is that uh, most of the people that you see that are coming, when you come in that, you know, meet you in the parking lot and show you where to park or shake your hand when you walk in the door or pass out notes like we're about to do in a second or watch the kids or play the music or run the cameras. Most of those people are volunteers. And so the beautiful thing about church is, is that we all have a gift. And we have the privilege of using our gift for something greater than ourselves. And that's building up the body of Christ. Amen. So encourage you, if you're not plugged in somewhere to serve, get plugged in somewhere. I started serving in the nursery in the sixth grade when I started coming to Tree of Life Church. Started leading worship in eighth grade. And, you know, uh, it really changed my life forever. So... Uh, A couple other things I want to say really quick. My TOLC. Uh, We have this thing called My TOLC. It's an account that you can create by going to our website. You can click the connect tab at the top and go down to My TOLC. But My TOLC is a fantastic resource for you. Now, it's an account that each congregant can make. It's not one per family. It's for each congregant. And it's a place where you can log in and you can see things like um, what kind of life groups you can join. And you can join life groups there life groups specific to your area, or maybe you're looking up a men's group or a women's group or something like that. Um, You can find serving opportunities and you can connect through serving opportunities. You can give and you can get your year-end giving record there as well for tax purposes if you do that. Um, The other thing that you can do is coming up, there's going to be more things. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I almost told you, but I'm not going to. But there's going to be more things that you can do. And so we're encouraging everybody. If you don't have a MyTOLC account or maybe just your spouse does or something like that, get one of those accounts because here's what's so great about church is church isn't just for Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Church is a place where we connect on a deeper level. Maybe we're serving or maybe we're in a a life group or with these things that we're going to be giving to you here in the very near future if you have a MyTOLC account. It's a place where we can get together and walk through this Christian life together. How many of you know you can't do it alone? Amen. So the other thing I want to tell you really quick is don't forget the Tree of Life app. If you're an Apple person, you can go to the App Store. If you're a Google person, uh, I mean an Android person, you can go to the Google Play Store. Um, If you're a Microsoft person, there are only two of you. And so, uh, that was a joke, I'm sorry. And uh, I'm not going to, I was going to have you raise your hand, but that's really bad. Uh, If you have a Microsoft phone. But anyways, we want to encourage you to download that app. It's free. You can search hashtag TOL Church or you can search Tree of Life Church NB. But here's the great thing about it is you can follow along every single Sunday and Wednesday with the notes from whoever's preaching that day. You can fill in the blanks 
uh, right there on the app. And you can even email those notes to yourself so that you can remember that. If you're using a tablet, the app is not currently designed for tablets. Uh, but what you can do is go to treeoflifechurch.org, scroll down, you'll see a little orange button that says live notes, and you can fill out those live notes right there as well. Um, if you're here today and you are not using a device, sometimes I just like to use regular paper and kill some trees and things like that. Uh, if you're here today and you're not using a device, but you'd like notes, uh, if you'd raise your hand, there are ushers in the aisles who would love to give you notes. Here's what we believe at Tree of Life. Um, well, really, here's what statistics show us, is that if you write something down, uh, actually, you will retain more of it. And I, I say this, I've said this a few times, there have been times in my life where I was going through a rough patch and I pulled out my notes. One time it was from a conference I went to. One time it was from a, a particular Wednesday night service. I remember pulling out the notes and just reading them to help myself get through that period of time. I encourage you, store these things. Paper remembers a lot better than our brains do. And so we want to be able to go back and maybe even study them with your family throughout the week or something like that. Um, so we are continuing with part three of our series called Finishing Strong today. So let's pray and then let's jump into that. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, I thank you for the people who are gathered here today and those who are gathered via live stream who are joining us. God, I thank you for people who are here for the very first time. Father, I thank you that your love for everyone is equal. And that's why you sent Jesus as the savior for everyone who would call upon his name. So God, today I thank you that we're gonna learn some truths from your word that will help us to walk out the victorious life that Jesus bought for us with his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later. Father, I thank you that this word is so much bigger than any of us. It's the truth of the word of God. So Lord, I pray that you would help people to just understand the message that's coming out today. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide my words. I pray that it wouldn't be about the, the person bringing the message, but it would be about your message. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. So kind of an obvious question, but I want you to think about a time that you've ever been on a detour. You know those little detours and there's big detours, right? There's a little orange sign detours that you see around, but sometimes there's really, really big detours. I, I was a military kid. Do we have any military families in here today? Awesome. Thank you very much for serving. Or if you're a military kid, thank you for maybe missing mom or dad for a lot of time. But I grew up a military kid, and so we were always on the road. Uh, if you are a Marine Corps kid like I was, some, some branches of the military, they go to places like um, Germany and South, I mean, yeah, and South Korea and things like that. Um, military kids go to places like Fort Worth, um, and a little bit less exciting. But I really loved being a military kid, and I genuinely loved the places that we lived. But we would go back and forth. When we lived in San Diego, we were stationed out there, and we would go back and forth between there and here in New Braunfels for summer vacations. And, um, you know, that's a long drive. It's about 20 hours, just through a bunch of desert. Uh, if you've never seen a desert thunderstorm, it's awesome. It's so incredible. But we sometimes would encounter detours along the way. Uh, I remember one time we were in Arizona, I think, and... Uh, there was a sandstorm that was so big, they had to shut down I-10, a part of it. And so we were like talking to this trucker at the gas station because that was before your cell phone could tell you everything. And so 
I, I, I would be like the map reader when I was a kid. I think it was the last generation to ever see a physical map other than for a scavenger hunt. And so I would be the map kid. And so I remember we were talking and we were talking to this trucker about how to get around this detour. How could we uh, get around and make a detour so that we could get to our destination? I remember another time on I-10, there's a lot of stories from I-10. We were driving through El Paso and it rained so hard they had to shut the freeway down. So we had to drive around through the city and then keep going on. But you know, life is kind of like that sometimes. Sometimes there's a lot of detours in life. And so today I want to talk to you about Jacob and his son Joseph and their family who eventually became the nation of Israel. And I want to talk to you about a big detour in their life. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a backstory. I don't know if you ever watched Dr. Phil. Uh, I don't suggest it. Uh, (laughs) It's like the worst way to deal with problems. Um, it's just a 30 minutes of negativity nonstop. But if you ever watch a show like that, they'll t- give like a video montage for backstory first, and then they'll bring everybody in and they'll kind of duke it out on the show. So this explanation right here is going to be the video montage to set all of this up. If you've never heard the story of Joseph, it's fantastic. It's way bigger than Donny Osmond in a Technicolor coat, if you know what I'm talking about. Only people from a certain era know that. I only know it from the infomercial. So... But what happened was there's this guy, Jacob. His dad was Abraham. Abraham had this promise from God that this land called Canaan was going to be his someday and that his descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars. They were going to be a huge nation. Well, he dies and his son Jacob lives on. And Jacob has sons, a lot of sons. His 12 sons and the youngest son is named Joseph. And Joseph is a dreamer. But Joseph is not just any dreamer. Joseph receives a series of prophetic dreams from God that foretell his future. And Joseph sees in these dreams that his family members, including his brothers and his dad, are going to bow down to him. So wisely or unwisely, he goes to his brothers and his dad and he tells them about his dream. Just a secret. If you ever get a dream that someone's going to bow down to you, don't tell them about it. Tell somebody else. And so his brothers are pretty mad and uh, his brothers do what any normal siblings would do. They beat him up and they sell him into slavery. And that's kind of weird. And I think if we were on Dr. Phil, this would be the part where Dr. Phil's like, y'all did what to your brother? You know, how he talks. But he sells, they sell him into slavery and he goes to Egypt as a slave in the household of a very important man named Potiphar. Potiphar is a military man. I I believe he was actually the captain of the guard for the Pharaoh in Egypt. And he works his way up the ranks as a slave in this man's house until he becomes second in command. He's got exceptional leadership and management skills. And so he becomes second in command, but Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of something and he has to go to prison. So now he's back at the bottom of the totem pole, probably in a worse situation than before. And he works his way up again because, again, he has exceptional leadership and management skills. And he becomes kind of the one who runs the prison, except he's in the prison. And then through a series of crazy events, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And I I just want to say this. The thing that he did in the first place, that was God-given this ability to interpret dreams, that kind of took him on this detour, comes back around and he interprets Pharaoh's dreams for him that nobody else can interpret. And he becomes second in command of all of Egypt. One thing I think is kind of cool, I never thought of until now, is that 
Pharaoh never became the number one guy, but he was content with being number two if that was his purpose. Sometimes we want to control everything, but I think sometimes God would say, just do what I've called you to do and be content with that. So anyways, this big ordeal happens and he becomes second in command of all of Egypt from slavery and prison to being second in command. And there's a giant famine, seven years of really great times, but then seven years of famine. And through his wisdom given by God and through um, his management skills and his leadership skills, he saves so much food that the people in Egypt have an abundance that will last them through the seven years. So other nations who are also experiencing this famine, they come to him and they start paying him for food. And so he's kind of helping out the nation of Egypt more than just helping them survive. They're getting paid by other countries. So lo and behold, his 11 brothers show up and they bow before him. And they ask to buy food because he's speaking through a translator to them, not speaking in their language. So they have no idea it's him. So through a crazy series of events, again, he reveals his identity to them and he invites, he forgives them and he invites the entire family, including his dad. And he finds out he has a younger brother now. He invites them all to move to Egypt and he's gonna take care of them. I think of it kind of like if you won the lottery. Uh, I hope you don't play the lottery uh, because your chances are very small. But uh, scratch-offs are fun for your birthday though, whatever. I don't know if you're supposed to say that. Um, Anybody ever have one aunt that gives you scratch-offs for your birthdays? It's fun. Okay, sorry. Bunny trail. So through a series of events, kind of like I think of like if you won the lottery or maybe if you became an NBA player, you like buy your family a house, you know, take care of their mortgage. He moves them to Egypt. And Jacob was promised by God that the land of Canaan was going to be his someday. But in his old age, he finds himself packing up everything, leaving and moving to Egypt. And so we pick this story up in Genesis Um, chapter 46, verses three through four, they're in a place called Beersheba and God comes to Jacob in a vision. And he says, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there I will make your family into a great nation. I will go with you down to Egypt. I'll bring you back again. You'll die in Egypt, but Joseph will be with you to close your eyes. So God says to him, I am the God of your father. I will be with you and I will be around long after you're dead. If you want those three blanks right there, it says three things God tells Jacob about himself. I was here before you. I am here with you and I will be here long after you're gone. I was here before you. I'm the God of your father, Abraham. I will be here with you. And I'll be here long after you're gone. You'll die there and Joseph will be there to close your eyes, but I'll still remain. And we see here that in essence, God's showing Jacob that he's eternal and that his power and his purpose are stronger and larger than our problems. You think about Jacob's on his way out of the land that God had promised him and into a foreign land. And he knows he's old and he knows that God promised him that he would have that land and that his descendants would become a great nation. And God meets him in Beersheba and he says, your descendants will become a great nation and they will come out of this land eventually. 
And he says, don't be afraid. And I observed two things in here. Number one, when God says, don't be afraid, it's probably not just a random thing. It's probably either you are afraid or there's a reason to be afraid coming up. Number two, God responds or, or reiterates the fact that they will be a great nation. You know, I wonder how many of us are afraid because we wonder if God forgot about the promise or the vision that he gave us. I wonder how many of us are becoming afraid because maybe we're saying, you know, I'm moving along in life, but God, you promised me this and I'm not seeing it come to pass. I wonder if some of us are afraid because we really do believe the promise will come to pass, but I'm not really sure that I can handle it. I'm not really sure, God, that I'm the right person for this vision that you've given me in this destiny. I believe God would tell us the same thing he told Jacob. I was here before you. I'm here with you. I'll be here long after you're gone. Keep your head up. Look at the vision and you'll see the promise come to pass. You know, the destiny that God has for your life is always bigger than you. It's a God-given purpose that will impact other people for his glory. See, Jacob's family would form the nation of Israel. And there's all this history that goes with the nation of Israel. I mean, you see um, King David writing the Psalms and doing amazing things. You know, David and Goliath and all of these amazing historical facts. But you go through and you see the prophets and all of these things. But what comes later is Jesus himself through the nation of Israel. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, now you and I are standing here today receiving the wonderful grace that God gives. See, Jacob's destiny was about so much more than him having a couple plots of land and a big family. It transcended his life and it mattered in eternity. God gives us a purpose purpose and a destiny that are so big that it's impossible for us to accomplish it on our own. In fact, I kind of believe this, and I was thinking about this today. Maybe your dream is just big enough. Maybe your vision is just large enough. When you begin to realize that its effects won't be completed until after you're dead and gone. Maybe the impact that God wants you to have is much more than just for the brief amount of years that you have on this planet, but maybe God wants your impact to carry on after you're gone. I believe that's the difference between success, I accomplish this, and significance, I empowered other people to continue. Here's the thing about destiny and purpose, though. Fun words, great words. But destiny always seems to involve a detour. And purpose always seems to involve pain. You know, you think about a detour, even a self-inflicted one. It doesn't mean that you're done for. But that's what the devil wants you to believe. You may say, you know what? I messed up my destiny, I feel like. I messed up the purpose and the vision that God had given me. But I would say to you, I don't think that you're good enough or bad enough to do that. You're not done. God's not done with you, but that's what the devil wants you to believe. The devil will always try to oppress you because he's scared of who you're called to be and what you're called to conquer. Because do you know what you're called to conquer? His kingdom. 
You're called to conquer his kingdom and to set captives free, just like Jesus said he was called to do in Isaiah 61. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, to proclaim liberty to the captives. The same spirit that was on Jesus is the spirit that lives inside of you and I today. And that scares the devil so bad. See, if you continue to read this story, there's a natural example of this. Jacob and Joseph, they eventually pass away. And I love the faith they had because Jacob said, I want you guys to go and bury me in Canaan. And so they did. And Joseph said, I want you to keep my bones, which is kind of like, wow, that's very descriptive. But he said, I want you to keep my bones because I want you, when you leave this land someday, and you will, I want you to carry them with you to the land that God promised us. But they pass away. And the new Pharaoh comes into power and he doesn't know his history and he doesn't know what Joseph did for the nation of Egypt and who these Israelites are. And they've grown into a substantial number of people and he's afraid of them. So what does he do? He oppresses them because he's afraid that they'll fight and he's afraid that they'll leave. So he makes them slaves. You know, I think sometimes that's what the devil does with you and I that he's afraid of what you're called to. He's afraid of the God that lives on the inside of you. And he'll do anything he can to keep you within his borders because he's terrified that you might conquer him and walk out of that place that he's trying to keep you in. It says that it gets even harder on them. But look what it says in Exodus 1, verse 12. It says, the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. Purpose always involves a process and we have to trust what God's doing if we're gonna see his promise fulfilled. And happy news for you, just kidding. Processes often involve pain. I didn't really want to work out this morning. In fact, I hit snooze as many times as I could in my mind logically before I realized that I would just not work out like I did the day before. And when I got up and I started working out, I wasn't like, I'm so glad I'm in pain working out right now. But I understood that the pain served a served to be part of a process. And that process had a purpose and that was to keep me healthy and strong. There are some of you who love the pain. I got to say, I love running, but I don't love the pain. I love how I feel after I'm done with the run. This is a really great quote I read today. It says, the resistance is always fiercest on the borderline of a breakthrough. You know, when they began growing, the Pharaoh got threatened and he became harsher and harsher on them. But they were on the borderline of their breakthrough. They were about to leave Egypt and walk into God's promise. And maybe you say, man, things have been so intense. And if I could be quite honest with you, sometimes it's things that we've brought on ourselves. But listen, sometimes it's going to be the hardest at that moment because you're so close. It's easier to quit when you're 10 miles into a 13-mile run. 
And so it's important that we recognize that we can't stop here. In fact, Romans 8, 28 says that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So basically God's saying that the thing that rises up against you is gonna work for you because you love him and because you're called according to his purpose. The thing that rose up against you is gonna work for you. In fact, God used the Israelites' detour to prepare and equip them for their destiny. That thing that's in front of you, that's been working against you, God is gonna use it to equip you for the purpose and the future that he has for you. If you don't believe me, then let me explain this to you. In Exodus 1, it says that Jacob and his family, when they came, all of his relatives, when they showed up in Egypt, numbered 70 people, including Joseph and his kids and his wife who already lived there. 70 people. And then in Exodus 12, verse 37, it says that when they left Egypt, which was hundreds of years later, there were 600,000 men alone. So a very conservative estimate would be that there were 1 million of them. But some people say it could have been up to 2.5 million people when you include women and children. So he comes with 70 people and then the nation of Israel leaves as a true nation now with 600,000 men alone. Now get this, um, if he was gonna conquer Canaan and possess the land that God called him to possess, 70 guys weren't gonna do much probably. But 600,000 men could put a dent in those armies in that land. The other thing that we see is when they left, it's kind of crazy. There were all these plagues, if you've ever heard of that story. But when they left, uh, they asked the Egyptians, who were their owners, basically, because they were slaves, they asked them for goods and things like that as they left. So they gave them clothing and they gave them uh, it says articles of silver, articles of gold. And it says that they stripped them of their wealth, but really the Egyptians handed it over to them as they left. I think they were just kind of like, get out of here. It's kind of cool because these were people who were in chains and they left with all of these riches. I love that concept. You know, the other thing you can think about is think about a guy like Moses who led them out of Egypt. He had lived in Pharaoh's palace for the first 40 years of his life. You know, he probably learned some military techniques. He probably gained some leadership uh, experience and wisdom from his time living in uh, and serving with the Pharaoh. So he gained knowledge when he left that would help him along the way. I think that's really, really cool because what you see there is God gives them more power in their time of oppression. God gives them more provision in their time of oppression. And God gives them more wisdom in their time of oppression. I wonder if instead of feeling deflated or defeated, if we started looking for those opportunities, what would happen? God, I believe that this time is really hard. I understand that, but I believe you can give me more power, more strength. I believe you can give me more provision. And I believe that you can give me more wisdom. Out of all of this, you're gonna bring something good to pass. So the thing is, if you keep your head up when life tries to put you down, God will use those very circumstances to make you stronger. If you keep your head up, when life tries to put you down, 
God will use those very circumstances to make you stronger. And you might be thinking, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Love it. Sounds good. But how do I apply that? Because right now, all I feel is that I'm just being pushed down and I don't feel myself being enlarged like it talks about in any other way than maybe when you press something down like Play-Doh and it just splats all over the place. And if that's you today, I want to give you three ways that you can keep your head up and walk into purpose. Number one, see the vision. Jacob had a vision for his life. Joseph had a vision for his life. The vision may take years to come to pass, but it will come to pass if God gave it to you. Again, it may not be big enough if you can do it on your own. And it may not be big enough if its effects only last in your lifetime. I've sat in so many memorial services as a pastor where people who I maybe never met in my life and you would never know their name left an eternal impact. Built churches in Mexico. Recorded tapes so that people could hear the word of God as a volunteer, one at a time, back in the day at this church. The impact that you leave should carry on. The vision is what will keep you going when you're walking through the process. See, Hebrews 12 Verse two says that Jesus, who endured the cross, for the, who for the joy set before them, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus looked ahead to the joy that was set before him. And part of that is you and I, the joy of knowing that we will be with him forever. He had a vision in front of him and that's what enabled him to endure an excruciating death and to not even care about all the shame that came with it from taking on our sins. Not just what other people thought about him in the moment, but what about taking on our sins and our shame? One thing you have to do is you have to take a look at what you're looking at. Take a look at what you're looking at. The direction in which you look is the direction in which you will go. Uh, I saw a kid the other day uh, was looking into my office, uh, one of the staff kids here, uh, one of our staff members' kids, and he was looking into my office and he ran into the doorpost. <laughs> I thought it was awesome because it's such a great picture of life, right? How many times do we look at what's going on over there? Why are they so blessed? And we end up hurting ourselves in the process because we're not looking in the direction we're called to go. You can't see the vision if you're looking down or backwards. You've got to keep your head and look forward into all God is calling you into. The vision for my life has sustained me through some tough times. Can I be honest with you? Number two, you've got to speak the promise. Declaring God's word over your situation reminds you of what he says about your purpose and your destiny. Listen, people talk. It's what they do. Your mind goes and goes and goes. You probably know what I'm talking about. Maybe you were trying to go to sleep last night and you were thinking, you know, I just don't know if this job's going to work out. I don't know if we're going to have enough money to pay the bills this month. I don't know if my kid's ever going to make it out of the eighth grade. That resonated with somebody. I had a friend who failed a class in eighth grade the, sem the entire year with a 69 and he just begged, could you give me the point? And they were like, nope. <laughs> and he had to take summer school. It was really sad, but it was his fault. The word circumstance comes from two Latin words. One means around and one means to stand. They put them together to make the word circumstance. I think that's fascinating. 
Circumstances are the things that are standing around you. When you see negativity standing around you, don't sit down and worry. Get up and walk. The things that are standing around you can either propel you to move forward into what God's called you to, or you can just stand around. But you'll never find victory sitting down. Proverbs 24, 16 is a great scripture about resilience. It says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Listen, my prayer for you is that you would be a person who has more resilience than somebody who one disaster can throw them off. That you'd have enough vision that one disaster couldn't throw you off. That you would have enough emotional intelligence that one disaster couldn't wreck your emotions. Because it's so easy, especially if you're an all or nothing person like me. This has to be awesome or we're not doing it, right? That you would be the type of person that has bigger vision and stronger control over your emotions through the fruit of the spirit which deals with our emotions. That you would be the type of person that, you know what, you might fall down four times because really you made a mistake, made a bad choice, but you choose to get back up again each time knowing that God's grace is sufficient for you. That you might fall down three more times because somebody said something about you or somebody sabotaged your plan or this or that, circumstances didn't pan out, but you choose to get back up again because you know that God defines and determines your purpose, not people or circumstances. And the last one, number three, is serve with passion. I love this one. Serve with passion no matter what position you're in. Think about Joseph. He was a special kid in his household. His dad gave him a gift, this coat that nobody else got. But then he ends up being a slave. And what does he do? He serves to the best of his ability in whatever position he's placed in. Joseph could have walked around with a chip on his, on his shoulder saying, I didn't deserve this. God, you gave me a plan for my life and I just spoke about it and people ruined my life. And he could have stayed there and never accomplished anything. Or he could have worked his way up the ranks in Potiphar's household and he could have said at the end of it all, you know what, um, I'm just gonna do whatever I want. When Potiphar's wife was trying to get him to do wrong things, he could have said, you know, I kind of deserve this because I've had a tough life. But he chose to serve Potiphar well. When he went to prison for a, a false accusation, he could have said, you know what, I've served as well as I can until now, but I can't take it anymore. If I get detoured one more time, I can't do this. But he chose to rise through the ranks because he chose to serve. I wonder if you and I have gotten frustrated with the position that life has put us in or maybe the position that we've put ourselves in or sometimes the position that God has asked us to be in. Or maybe God's told you, I want you to be at this specific job and you say, but God, I don't want to be at this job. And God says, but I believe this is the best place for you. Or I've told you to serve in this particular capacity here at church. And you say, but God, that's, that's not the capacity I want to serve in. I want to do something different. But maybe God's asking you to do that. And I believe that if we'll serve with passion, then God will always promote us. Understand that serving God means serving people. Jesus said in Mark 10, verses 43 through 45, that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Turn to your neighbor and say, you got served. That wasn't it. Never mind. If you do what God's telling you to do, 
you'll flourish in every season. We already talked about Joseph. This is fantastic though, and I encourage you to say this out. In Jeremiah 29, we love the scripture, 29, 11, it's on our wall. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. What a beautiful promise that is truly for all of us because God's a good dad and that applies to everybody on earth. But do you know what it says before that? The Jewish people were in exile in Babylon and God says, you're gonna be there for 70 years. I want you to plant crops. I want you to get married. I want you to have kids. And I want you to just be fruitful and multiply. And I'm going to bless you in the middle of this exile. The Jewish people weren't really serving God to the best of their ability. That's part of the reason why they were there. But God said, I'm going to bless you and prosper you. And you're going to flourish in the middle of the detour. Listen, I know that life is hard and detours can be so difficult. But please remember that a detour is not something that has to derail you. A detour's purpose is it's another way to get to the same intended destination. If you have a vision that God gave you for your life and you have a purpose, you have to finish strong. Don't let a detour trip you up. Don't let a detour derail you and you pick a totally different course. If God said it, you have to keep pushing for it. And not only that, but the detour doesn't have to derail you. It can make you better stronger and wiser. How many of you would say that some of the negative experiences in your life have added to the way that you can lead, that you can serve, and you can help others now? I don't believe that God causes negative experiences, but I do believe that he causes all things to work together for our good. And maybe you're here today and you say, I don't have a vision. I don't have like an intended destination that I'm trying to get to. Maybe you're new to Christianity or maybe you just never really thought that through. I encourage you, begin to ask God to help you find what his vision and his plan for your life is. That God has a plan for you and he has a purpose for you according to Jeremiah 29, 11. And if you ask him, he'll reveal it. But start with what you know now. And that is serve him to the best of your ability, serve people and be planted in the house of God if you'll keep your head up and push through the difficulties and detours, God will equip you for your destiny and empower you to finish strong. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.